anyone can learn anything they want. It's all in your head. You just gotta spend time on it. What the hell is really going on here? Aloha. To find myself. My mind is a garden. I skip with it. I'm an artist. I love art and I love you. All right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna start this thing off by talking about. So this is episode one, and this is where I get really weird because uh, this is. Uh, so I'll tell you what I do like, uh, and that's actually gonna lead into what this is all about. But what I do like is actually like talking with people that are like-minded, people that uh, have interesting shit to say. I like to talk to people who, um, what I would consider the real deal. Uh, yeah, just having good conversations. And for some reason, when I have conversations with people, somehow a lot of the time we end up talking about a lot of stuff that people don't normally want to say or don't normally want to talk about. And that's the stuff, that's the stuff to me that's super important. Plus all the funny shit and all the other, whatever. What I don't like doing is doing what I'm doing right now. And this is, <laughs> this is painful for me right now. I'm talking to no one. I'm actually staring. I'm, st- I'm looking at a mic right now and I'm staring at a blank wall and I'm like, this is fucking weird. One thing for sure is I do want to get this podcast or whatever it is out. Cause I think these interviews are really important. Some of the stuff people are saying are really important. They're also, yeah, pretty brave people to be willing to talk about some of this stuff. So that's the part I want to do. And the part I don't want to do is this, but I'm still willing to do it cause it's important. So in this first episode, going to give you, the listener, an idea of what this thing's going to be about. And so this guy, Clayton, who's helping me out with this whole thing, came up with this really good idea. He's like, why, why don't you take a bunch of parts out of uh, stuff that you've already worked on and just, you know, give him an idea. So the first one is uh, I shot an interview with, or I did a recording with JP Walker about six months ago. God, actually, it's more like a year ago now. And I actually think this is the part right here is the reason why this thing hasn't gotten out is because I have not been able to to get this thing started because I end up having to talk into a mic staring into a wall, but hopefully I'll get the hang of it at some point or maybe never. Anyway, that being said, uh, this is an edit from JP Walker's uh, interview he did with me. And yeah, he's talking about some, uh, I think some stuff that's pretty important that'll give you the flavor of uh, what this thing's about. All right. Here's me and JP talking about a year ago. I got hurt in Utah. I fell off this roof trying to do like a roof transfer thing. And I hit the ground. Like I landed on dry cement from like really high up and I exploded my foot. I landed and I was like, sweet, no pressure. I'm fucking hurt. You know what I mean? Like I can't do anything. Like I can't do anything. So it was, it's just so weird to be like, I guess the pain hasn't really set in yet and you don't really know what you did, but you do know something's wrong. Cause it's just, you, you know, you know, a difference between like, I twisted my ankle and like, I broke my leg, you know? Yeah. 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 <laughs> or like I can got a hot pocket on my ankle. I'll walk this out in 15 minutes or like, I actually got to go to the doctor or the yeah. hospital, you know, but it's just crazy to be like, come off the thing, land slam, take this intense pain to my foot and shatter these bones in my foot and arch and be like stoked for a minute. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, dude, I'm off the hook. Like I don't gotta like, uh, I don't gotta get in these situations anymore because I physically can't, you know? Yeah. And then I was like, but I can't say that. I'm the shakedown guy that says I don't think like that. Yeah. <laughs> it says that right at the beginning of my part. It says this yeah. is how we do it. This is how we do it. Yeah. You know? So it's like, is this how we do it? Like, fuck, I don't know. I'm like ten years older than that now or more, you know? Yeah. 
maybe 15. I don't know. Like that's, that's, it's pretty hard. If this is how we do it at that point. So that was just kind of like, that was like a new thing. Like I did try to kick out of that, like, no, I'm good. I'm good. And then from there it was just, you know, this all happened so fast. Like in a few seconds, you have all these realizations and stuff like that. And then sure enough, like the pain starts hurting. You forgot all about that. And you're just like off of the hospital trying to get your boot off without screaming, you know? Yeah. But from that, it turned into, I had to do a lot of rehab for that. And my foot was broken this way that I couldn't get surgery on it. So it just took a lot of rehab and being older and stuff like that and no surgical options and just a weird placement on the bone break and the pieces that it was in. That happened early in the winter. So I spent the rest of the winter kind of rehabbing it. And then I remember I came up to Whistler just to do my kind of thing, go snowmobile and try to ride some last minute powder while the snow was soft. My foot still hurt. I feel like I should have just been way further along so it didn't make any sense that I was still hurting, you know? Yeah. So I went back to a different doctor, like just a totally separate guy, and he found out that I still had a broken bone on a different part of my foot that the doctors missed because they were so concerned with this one part that I broke. Even Uh. though I was like, that part doesn't hurt, this other part hurts. Like, okay, well, we don't see anything. So they missed this thing called a Jones fracture, which is apparently something that does actually get misdiagnosed. Uh Uh-huh. So then I had to go back in a cast after I'd been out. So I did imagine you do all this rehab, get strong. You're actually kind of pushing around riding bikes. I surfed a bit, skating, it hurt, but I could do all these things. And now I'm back in a fucking cast. Like, uh, like oh, dude, like like basically start back start to the over, front. Start over, yeah. Start, but now yeah. put this bone stimulator on your foot because it's been so long that this thing's not been grown in that it needs like this special bone stimulator to hopefully make it grow. And if not, it's like a surgical thing. So while I was doing that, I did all that like stem cell shit. So between that going back in the cast and doing like the bone stimulator, that bone actually healed itself. So I was like, okay, sweet. I'm good. So now it's like the end of summer, pretty much. I've been like working on this thing for nine months to get re-upped and I'm coming in to film this 32 video, which was 32s first full-length snowboard film with their whole team like and it was their also their 20-year anniversary as a brand so it was a big deal and I've been on 32 for a long time and they've supported me like for quite a few many years especially after all like the whole falling out with Burton and Forum and all that stuff so it was important for me to get good footage for this video you know and so but I'm coming off this injury and so all that stuff I did before was just like the physical aspect of getting better. I didn't know that like my head was totally fucked from that whole thing uh-huh. until I got in front of the camera the first day to start filming. And, and I had like a basically like a not a panic attack, but I just like shut down. It was like a, a fight or freeze. And I totally went into freeze and didn't I couldn't perform. It wasn't it wasn't the day the day I was filming, but it was. The night before, because I'd been out there kind of working on this spot, building up, getting it ready for the next day. And so I finally knew it was on because I knew the spot was all ready to go because it was kind of like a big build on this big reservoir spillway thing. And I was just like, I can't do it. You know, mm-hmm. I was like, I, I know that's on deck tomorrow. And I was like, I just can't go. I, I'm like seriously like on the floor, curled up in a ball, like done, you know, like crying, no confidence. I can't do this. Don't want to do this. It just popped up out of nowhere. I didn't, I, this whole time I'm like sitting here like rehabbing my fucking face off. Yeah. Go, go, go. Got to get back in the game, like totally motivated to get back in the game and get this fixed. And the whole time this thing was there that I didn't, didn't even know about, you know? Uh-huh. Like the psychosomatic aspects of the injury or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Because I spent a few days out at that spot building it because it was like a big 
kind of like a big feature based spot that needed like a big tranny at the bottom and it had a big jump for the takeoff so it was like a step up to the top of a spillway with like a big cement bank so it was like basically step up to like a big lip trick and then ride down like 20 or 30 feet of concrete to like a snow tranny you know Mm -hmm. and there was a possibility that I could potentially like fuck up and go too far or get locked in on the thing and out go my tranny that I built and land on dry cement which is essentially what I got hurt with in the first place Mm -hmm. like I landed from really high on dry cement yeah so I'm out there building that thing for two or three days one day the first day Seth Hewitt came and helped me build it and so I was there with him just shooting the shit but then the next two days I was out there by myself building it so I'm like just staring at this thing by myself like fucking tripping myself out yeah know? yeah but yeah. have but the feelings were normal because I always get like a little edgy when I'm setting stuff up because you start thinking about how you're gonna go at it you know so it wasn't like a super red flag but it's like yeah I'm getting like elevated like as this thing comes together and realizing what it's going to actually take because it's one thing to envision it but it's another thing to actually put it together and do it you know uh-huh. and as it gets shaped up that vision can become more of a reality or less of a reality you know so yeah so then I just had that full breakdown and I was like home like my wife Roberta was there and she was just like talking to me too like I know you can do it like gave, basically gave me this like confidence boost somehow just like talked me into it you know because I was like ready to just like step off completely you know Mm -hmm. and I kind of just went out there on like the fact of like she told me I can do it so I trust her so I guess I'll go try it you know yeah yeah there was none of it none of it was me that felt like it could be done it was just on like I've done this type of stuff before and she says I can do it so I'll I'll go try it and she was like she was just had a, a strong conviction about it the way she told told it to me because yeah. she saw how bad I was hurting, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Crazy. So so I ended up getting through that. Did got a few things out there and that obviously helped, but in the mix of all that, that set me on to seeking help, like actual real like psychological help for that, you mm-hmm. know. Because I was like, yeah. that was that I just can't do that, you know? Well the the thing I, I, I wanna interject too is like I, I don't think a lot of people understand this but we kind of touched on this earlier you're the type of guy who doesn't like to get paid for doing nothing right. like it's you're not a lazy guy and so then you've got like now you're like a year deep of injury and you got this sponsor that has been super cool and supportive of you so you, I, I know you the kind of mm-hmm. person you're like I owe these fucking guys like I gotta pop this off I want to make these guys stoked totally. and then so then not only are you sitting there having this like breakdown thing or whatever you want to call it and then you you know you go into this dark place and it's like there's all this other pressure that you're putting on yourself that's just brutal so it's not only are you like i'm having this ptsd but there's this external story you're telling yourself and i call that like a weakened state like when a person's in a weakened state and a lot of people don't understand like when a person's in a weakened state you got to kind of be delicate around them and not tell them what to do because they're already doing such a damaged job on themselves and like roberta uh, stepping in and being like you can do this and you trusting her like that's at some points I've needed that I've actually needed people to be like like there's this big thing in therapy about don't ever tell your client this and that but there's sometimes I've been so hurting where I've actually been really helpful when someone else has gone like dude you got this like you mm-hmm. can do this and I've had that's all I've had to go on like so I t- when you just said that I was like yeah like I'm gonna go on this because my wife told me she believes I can do this yeah. but then I'm stoked you went and got still we're like okay I still got to get do some work around this so For sure yeah. yeah yeah so I mean that that totally makes sense what, what you're saying it's like it's it's yeah it's it's just a fucked up place to end up in you know what i mean the worst to to like go from like being like 
thinking you're like the hardest motherfucker to like shake in a corner like I can't fucking snowboard anymore like yeah this thing that you think is like you know if you've been doing professionally and on this high level for so long it should just be second nature but that just goes to show like how much of it is like a mental thing you know Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah so I I did seek out like like um psychological help and I I talked to this guy Alan Goldberg and I did a lot of sessions with him via Skype he was a sports psychologist I basically found him by actually Roberta I think found him just by looking on the internet like sports psychologist that you can talk to like talk to over the internet or something like that or he's I don't know I actually don't know how she found him but she did and then I saw he wrote a book and I immediately downloaded the book and I'm like trying to read it it wasn't super relevant to my situation because it was one of his older books and stuff and then she found out that I could get on Skype with him so now here I am doing like Skype phone calls with this guy that's out on the east coast super cool guy like totally understood my whole deal and stuff doesn't really know anything about snowboarding but it's like listened to everything i had to say about it and did a bunch of stuff with me to help me get through it's like it's that's kind of a long story there like all the stuff that i did in therapy with him but essentially like he got me through he 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 made it so that i could relive that experience of getting hurt off the roof from a safe place and realize that i'm okay and it sucked and it hurts and my foot hurts when I walk now and that's lame, but I'm okay. I'm okay. Like he kept telling me you're okay, you know? Yeah, yeah. And it and it took a while for me to realize I was okay, you know, especially because like it's, it's one thing to tell yourself you're okay and then you get up from sitting down for five minutes and you got to limp for 10 minutes till, you know, uh-huh. and you sit down for another uh-huh. five. It's like constantly there, you know, so it's kind of hard to forget about. So it was it was a long process working with him on all that stuff, but I... I feel like I did get through it. Like in the beginning, I couldn't even like tell him the story of what happened without crying into the laptop. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's weird. I mean, and for anybody who doesn't know who's listening to this, like I, I love, I love digging into the human psyche and it's, it's funny. Like, um, so, so many times our bodies will, will, will be taking care of us and we don't even know it. So like the fact that you're like hurled up in a, in a, in a, fetal position crying in this or whatever before you're supposed to shoot yeah. that is actually this is messed up but your body's actually taking care of you and saying uh-uh we ain't doing this there's there's dry concrete out there and the last yeah. time you land you know what i mean so yeah. it's like so the 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 problem i think a lot of the time with this stuff is a lot of people go to doctors and they get handed a prescription mm-hmm. and they don't stay in the discomfort long enough to to actually figure out what's going on, which is what you did. And we just had a talk the other day about some people we know who are going through this stuff, ex-snowboarder mm-hmm. slash skateboarder, whatever types. And they basically are like having this massive anxiety and everything. And basically the doctors, I mean, I think even that first psychologist you went to was offering you pills. It's like, yeah, yeah, he have did. some anxiety. Yeah, he's like, he's like, I'll, I'd diagnose you with like a mild anxiety. And if, if, if you want something for it, I can hook you up. But that was kind of like, that was like the final diagnosis. It wasn't any... Like I, he didn't dig deep or anything like yeah 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 Alan and try to get to the root of it or the bottom of it you know what I mean yeah a lot of people don't want to too a lot of people just um, and you know this isn't to bag on Western medicine and all that stuff but it's like it's really as easy just for people to go okay like have this pill except my belief is that when we have depression or we have anxiety it's our bodies are trying to tell us something and there's and something's up and you need to do things differently for sure. and if you take the pill 
I don't get me wrong. Like sometimes people are like some of those drugs actually really work. Like some of that stuff works for some people and everybody's different. But I think there's a large, like way, way, like I'm going to say upwards of 90% plus people are prescribed psychiatric drugs and SSRIs they're called. And basically people get prescribed those and then they get comfortable and then they never stay uncomfortable long enough to go do the work where they end up calling a guy Goldberg and speaking into a a Skype because you didn't do any at SSRIs, no. you actually worked through it with someone. Yeah. And the thing is, is that you were willing to do the work, which right. my, what I've learned is you got to do the work and sure. there's lots of really good resources out there, but definitely try and do all that before you go stuffing mitts full of pills in your mouth. Because yeah. trust me, if you're worried about the money, that'll end up costing you a lot more money in the long run. If you just basically go into a comatose depressed state for five years, you for know, sure. it's like, it seems like a good idea when you're hurting, but in the long run, it's not necessarily always the best route. Definitely. Yeah. And, and, and it's understandable that how easy it is to go that pill route. Cause you are in that weakened state, like you're saying, and it doesn't feel good to be in this like anxiety mode where you're heightened and you're just, it doesn't feel good. So like you want to get out of it. So a pills an easy out, you know, and it's, it's actually, you got to, what I did at least, like I basically had to go relive this thing over and over, over to get through it. So that doesn't feel good. You uh-huh. know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. No. And, it's, and then, yeah. and it's just like, it's just, it's, it's hard to like want to do that, you know? And I, and I just, I mean, who knows? I didn't even, I guess I didn't really think about a pill. I just like, and the fact that I did it over Skype at first with Alan, like maybe if I had to just like went to like my local doctor and they said, well, do you just fucking pop this pill and like call me over the weekend? You know, I could have maybe fallen into that, but I got lucky and Roberta found that guy and I had a session with him and I was like, okay, hey, that was lame, like sitting there crying into the laptop, but I'll, I'll, I'll keep doing that because... Uh-huh why not? You know, it's not going to make it worse. You know, I'm already like defeated basically. So I'll, I'll stick to that and go. And then, and it was, it took a long time, but I got through it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And you understand it now and you understand what it is and you understand that, that your body was telling you no, because it was trying to protect yourself and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was a PTSD thing. You know, I I explained it to him and he's just like, yeah, you're having post-traumatic stress disorder from this event. And you could have got it the first time you ever got hurt. And you just happen to get it now. It's just, it's different for everybody. You know, it's Mm -hmm. not, you can't say that like you've got this many slams or this many concussions before you're hit with PTSD. It's just like, you could go like fall on the ice, ice skating. You're like, fuck it. I'm never ice skating again. You know what I mean? Yeah. Now that I've kind of lived through this, I can see situations. I think of why a guy maybe that I thought was a really good snowboarder and kind of just disappeared or kind of saw him like, maybe getting angry or frustrated easy and, and just not having fun. And then suddenly he wasn't a pro snowboard anymore when you knew he was still good yeah, and could do this shit, but he just had to step off for whatever reason. I, I think that that comes up a lot for these guys because you can't just get hurt over and over and over and do all these stunts and put yourself in high anxiety situations and not eventually have this happen to you. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Like that's why you either stop snoring because you're having these feelings or you're too hurt to continue snoring because you got like seriously fucked up or you just can't afford it because you your sponsors dropped you or something. Otherwise, why stop? You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's a sick gig, you know? So it's like <laughs> I've got sponsors that are still paying me. I did the physical therapy side and got that back on track so I could physically do it, but I couldn't do that other part, you know what I mean? So I could have like walked away on that account, but yeah, 
kind of stuck it out and, and sorted it through. So I think a lot of people go through this shit. All right. So that was uh, the sample from JP there. And I think he said it right at the end. It's like, yeah, I think there's a lot of people going through this shit. And that's a really good example of what this podcast is about is getting other people to talk about stuff that they've gone through. And the other thing I think is really important in there is that a lot of times uh, I know I had this happen where I thought talking about anything that wasn't positive was complaining. And I think you can clearly hear he's not complaining. He's just saying this is something that happened. And uh, like, that's what I used to never do. I'd never tell anybody the the parts of my life where I was, I was struggling and stuff like that, I always act like it was happy and shit all the time. So what's actually happening isn't complaining and it doesn't need to be dreary and shitty. You can actually learn from it, from other people. So the next one is uh, a woman that's been really a big influence in my life. And she actually, you know, she doesn't skateboard, snowboard and surf, but she actually does see things, um, which, which is what I would call... Uh, uh, kind of like a punk rock outlook on life, like kind of like, no, 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 that's not what I keep seeing and willing to challenge conventional wisdom. And uh, her ideas are pretty radical. So anyway, this is uh, my good friend, Linda Nichols, who's been actually working with people, I think, pretty much for the last 40 years. Um, and she actually works in groups with people. So anyway, this is this is uh, something around the topic of depression and some different ways of looking at it. And we were talking about a time when I went through a really hard times. So here she is. Linda Nichols. I just seen a psychiatrist and she had just diagnosed me as being depressed, very depressed and actually called me the poster boy for depression, could be the poster boy for depression. And I understand a lot more now than I did then. But at the time when she told me I was in a pretty rough state and um, I remember seeing you after and I told you, I was like, oh yeah, I went to Vancouver and I saw the psychiatrist and she told me this and that. And I remember you saying something to the effect of like, oh, I'd have some questions for her or something like that. And anyway, do you remember that? And you and, and yeah, I just love to get on the top. And it's not about making the psychiatrist or anybody bad. It's just potentially opening up to a different realm of possibility. Yeah, I I have a recollection of that. And I don't remember exactly what I said, but I do remember feeling quite dismayed. I would have called it premature diagnosis. And the reason for that is that I just think that based on what I knew about your life and about what you'd been going through, I thought going down into a what I would call a lower energy or a completely different space was natural for the kind of life that you'd been leading. That's one of the things I think about depression. I think about even the word depression. It is a, a dip. It's like a dip in the road. It's a dip in the energy. With surfing, for example, you must have lots of metaphors with the water. It's not possible to sustain that high pitch, high charge, thrill constantly, even mm -hmm. though the desire is there for that. Mm -hmm. So as soon as I hear um, that kind of diagnosis as if suddenly you've gotten a terrible disease, I think that's a little bit gut-wrenching um, uh -huh. for me. And I'd go, hey, you know, here's a guy who's obviously uh, 
knows how to live in a high-charge, high-stimulation environment, and you, and you love it. And at the same time, none of us are designed. Probably you were designed to be able to sustain that a lot longer than a lot of people mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. were. Um, and at some point, though, uh, it's actually healthy mm-hmm. in a twisted kind of way you gotta go down sometime, man. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I mean, I actually think one of the reasons why, for for those of us, because I've had my own experience, I've never been a surfer, but I certainly have my experience with, I'd call myself a bit of a charge freak in terms of my experiences over my lifetime. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I've come to discover is that charge and sustaining that can be actually quite addictive. Mm-hmm. And what actually drives often the need or the motivation to stay there and be there as much as possible can actually be a fear of slowing down, uh-huh. going into those lulls and hanging out there. And so then if someone comes along and says, when I'm in one of those lulls and I'm already afraid, I'm already not geared or my system is just not accustomed to going into that. And yet my system is crying out, come on, give me a break. Uh And then someone comes along and says, you had a disease. There's something wrong with you. All that does is feed the fear. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And um, so, you know, when I talk about depression, I prefer to use a verb. I prefer to not even refer to I've got depression or you have depression because immediately it's fixed, it's stuck, I've got a disease, something's wrong with me, and I'm already not feeling so great about myself. Yeah. And now here's one more reason. Mm -hmm. So that's why I refer to it more as I am depressing right now. Uh And sometimes I'll even say I'm depressing. And right now I think that's one of the most important things I can actually do. Uh To back up to that part of the fear. So, yeah, when when this person said you're depressed. Yeah. Like I'll be totally straight. I mean, actually, I'm getting a little emotional because I was so scared at that point. Like I was I just didn't know Mm. what was going on. And I was trying so many different things Mm. and I was so (laughs) terrified. And Mm. and then and I, I really don't want to make this person bad. No. The the thing is, I want to bring awareness to the fact that. It's very important as someone who's working with someone when a person's in a weakened state to say, you are this, mm-hmm. you are this, this mm-hmm. is your diagnosis. It was just like, it was really for me the the, the five days following that were I think the hardest, um, deepest, darkest, <laughs> scariest place that I'd ever gone to. I was just like, holy fuck, I am fucked. Like I am... Uh, yeah, it was it was horrible. Actually, it was a point where, where I was actually this is ridiculous, but I was actually laying on my couch, in fetal position, and my and by this time I'd done all this personal growth. I'd done all this work on myself, and I just couldn't figure it out. I just couldn't figure it out, and my mom was vacuuming around me. Like I always make a joke that it was like one of those. Um, like a scene from a crime, you know, they, they do like a, a silhouette of the person. Oh, yeah. Like my mom was vacuuming, my 70 plus year old mom was vacuuming around me and she's like, 
she's like, I think you need to stop doing whatever you're doing, this personal growth stuff, because I've never seen you like this. This is, and this is, I'm here, I am 47 years old, tough as nails, Sean, you know, the great Sean Kearns, whoever I thought I was. And I remember walking to the bathroom and looking at myself in the mirror and being like, at one point, it was like, who's doing this? Who's doing this? No one's doing this to me. And I walked to the bathroom, looked at myself in the mirror and said, you need to stop doing this. You need to stop doing this. And it was like something shifted. And the part that I wanted to say that was so interesting, what you just said to go back about the verb was, so I did your course. You did. You do a course called uh, Depression Conscious Alternatives. I think that's what it's called. Dep- yep, yeah, that's what it's called. Yeah. And this is where, this is a big reason why I'm doing this podcast is because I was sitting in that course. Actually, I, I helped you lead it later, but in the, but, but right at the beginning, the first time I ever did the course, you came at it from this place of, I actually like my depression. I've befriended my depression. I've actually, and right then and there, it was like, holy shit, I have had this subconscious, unconscious story that depression is for losers depression is weak it's a sickness it's for people who can't handle life and actually when the way you were spinning it was no no this is when my body's telling me to listen yeah this is when something needs to change or shift or slow down and I realized now that I actually have depressed my whole life I was doing it subconsciously what I would do is I'd go get wasted beyond belief and then I would have like a five-day hangover and that was the time that I made it okay for me to sit down, stop, and not do anything. I was, I was like, okay, I'm so hungover, I can't move. But the rest of the time, I was going full speed ahead all the time, like so scared to stop, so scared to slow down. So I think what you just said is absolutely like, yeah, like this whole positive thinking all the time, keeping it positive all the time, not my experience. That didn't work out for me in the long run. When you were talking about the only way that you could slow down or, in a way, give yourself permission to slow down was by getting wasted, I think that part of it is that the process of getting wasted and whatever substances or whatever you use to get yourself to to that state is, again, a way of getting something else or someone else to do it for you. Mm -hmm. Because I believe really deep down then what's really unconscious is a belief that somehow you're not worthy of that or a belief that somehow you're utterly helpless Mm -hmm. in the face of your own high energy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so, man, you know, I think of that process of depressing ourselves and then, you know, making it into an illness and and doing it all that. At, At the core, I think that that draw into the slowness and into the dark and into the into the heaviness is actually uh, somewhere deep, like a soul call that's saying, hey, I want to be saved here. I want to be recognized. I want to be acknowledged. And so in a way, it can be seen as positive, but it's not a whole, whole, ha, ha, good time positive, uh-uh. man. <laughs> this requires a kind of courage it's like redirecting the the courage that goes into facing death in a thrilling way. Uh-huh. And in these moments the thrill is gone. Yeah. yeah. But it's actually turning around and having the heart for yourself and the courage to really face like the depth and it sounds like the depths of your own 
self-criticism and recognizing how far you can go with demolishing yourself. All right, so that was Linda Nichols. And um, yeah, that does give a really good, uh, I think a good representation of what this is going to be because I really want to resource people like that uh, who have spent a lot of their time actually being in contact with people, watching and seeing what happens over extended periods of time and lasting effects of this stuff, not people who just write books and then leave people. It's like, no, 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 she's been in the trenches. So in my opinion, her opinion is not only more valid, but actually more important than people who actually haven't been in the trenches. So, so that leads me to the next person, which is uh, Cole Barish. Uh, some people know who he is, some people don't, but he's a friend of mine that uh, I met him when I was actually, I was, I was kind of coming to the end of my career in the, in the snowboard filming stuff. And actually, it's right when Cole came into it. So he was like 17 when I first met him. And I was, I don't know, 40 and bitter. And basically, uh, oh, it's wicked, a coffee grinder going off in the background. All right, perfect. Uh, so anyway, Cole's, uh, Cole's young. And then basically, you know, we, we talked, I mean, I was a bit, I was brutal to him and stuff. But we do talk about uh, earning your stripes and, and uh, paying your dues uh, showing respect, giving respect. And, um, yeah, he came in and, and, uh, he was doing, he was up in, uh, Canada and he, I said, Hey, come shoot an interview with me. And, and he did. And it was awesome. Cause he talked about when he almost got the shit kicked out of himself on the North shore of Hawaii by being a little mouthy little shit. So anyway, uh, yeah, this is Cole. So I was like down there for a month working on this project, like two months actually. Um, about the subculture of the North Shore, like anchored around John John Florence. And it was also, I needed to photograph kind of these other people that were like largely staples in the community there. And so I went to photograph Uncle Eddie at his house, which was crazy. Eddie and, Rothman? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He yeah. was like, wouldn't take off his sunglasses. Anyways, he set me up like five minutes. He called Claude. He's like, hey, you know this kid calls like taking a portrait of me he wants to come over and photograph you are you home and yeah so i roll over i'm like fuck i guess this is happening i roll up <laughs> kala is in his fucking front yard just pacing back and forth fucking shaving his head dude and i was like this is it like this is the fucking photograph uh, like i had a whole set like studio set up i was gonna set up and i was like got out of the car whatever we just start chopping it up <laughs> and, like, I'm shooting him, like, just fucking buzzing his head. And I could tell, you know, he's, like, probably one of the most, like, on kind of edge people. <laughs> but, like, like in a good way, though. He, like, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. he, like, got fucking, he's got good, good intentions, good heart. And I was just like, all right, if there's any time in my life, I got to watch my step. It's probably here. So it's, like, 20 minutes in where, you know, have I set up another, like, the studio thing set up. I was like, since we got time, we'll shoot it. I start talking to him and I just ask the simple question. So are you going anywhere this winter to go surf? Dude, why the fuck would I go anywhere else, bro? Why the fuck would I fucking leave here? And I was just like, oh, dude, he snapped for like mm, probably like about a minute. And then he like cooled down and was all cool. But like, like you fuck. were like sweating it for a minute for real. Oh yeah, I was like, ah, oh, fuck. And then, and then he was like, he calmed down. He's like, sorry, I fucking, I just fuck. 
that irritated me. Yeah, I was like, yeah. I, I, you know, I got it, yeah. I was, you know, it's simply just fucking asking if you're going on any surf trips, but. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I'll tell you, man. His bullshit meter. Yeah, through the room. Well, the funny part is, dude, like, I get that. Because I, I do talk with you, hang out with you, and you don't waste words. And when you said that to him, it's almost like a small talk thing, like just trying to fill it, which is actually in a weird way, bullshit. Definitely. Like, like, in the hey, bullshit category. In the bullshit category, like, yeah. do, do you really care? Yeah. You're making conversation here right now, and yeah. that's bullshit. That's how good the bullshit meter is. It's like, this is small talk. Yeah. Like, you actually don't need to be saying anything right now. And they probably get it so fucking much that's that it's just like cut cut yeah, next yeah yeah Ow. yeah yeah totally and you're gonna ask me some like like some random question and it's like dude that's the sickest thing because that's like he actually gives a fuck enough to be honest with you that's true he's honest as fuck like yeah i'm not gonna bullshit you back by answering that fucking question that's how true my integrity is is i actually give a fuck enough about you to call you on that bullshit right there. And then you're like, oh, fuck, I got to check myself. And yeah. that's, in my opinion, what's actually going on below the surface. You it's know? interesting. It's like, I never actually looked at it like that. Yeah. It's that's like cool. people get twisted around anger and things like this and, and aggression and stuff. And I'm like, dude, you know what? Like when, it, to me, when a person's angry or they're aggressive or something, it actually means that they might not know how to deal with whatever they're dealing with, but they care enough to get angry about it. And they actually give a fuck enough about the person to do something rather than just sit there and go, fine. Like, which is what a lot of people do. Sick. And it's pretty sick because then it's like, I think a lot of people don't know how to communicate that stuff. And then when they do it, it's like a lot of people run away from it. And I was like, I was like, dude, that guy's the fucking most honest guy right there. That he got pissed. He got da da da. Cause somewhere down deep, he's like, this is bullshit right now. And I'm going to fucking not be part of it. Yeah. yeah and it's yeah, wasting yeah. my time. Yeah. And it's wasting my time. Which is disrespectful. And that is the most important worst word down there yeah it's disrespect disrespectful and like i said i think he was holding you to another level like he actually probably liked you enough to be like i'm not gonna let you get away with bullshitting yourself yeah. which is a pretty interesting way of looking at it right i mean i'm a For fucking sure. weirdo I, I i delve into the neuroses of myself and humans and but that's what i've learned is like Usually when someone says something or does something that seems a little bit uncharacteristic or a little out of range with what's happening, it's something's below the surface and there's something else going on. They're not actually saying what they want to say or they don't even know. The saying is if it's hysterical, it's historical, meaning it doesn't have anything to do with what's happening in the current moment. <laughs> like I've heard this one before. You're going to bring me blankets and candy? <laughs> <laughs> that's what you did dude you told them you're gonna bring in blankets and candy so where are you gonna surf this year <laughs> fuck you fuck <laughs> dude that is fucking crazy for about 90 seconds <laughs> no so that's sick to bring it so to bring it back to that that's um like dude you will screw up people do we're not perfect and your integrity isn't true and you're not trying to rip off the north shore and you're not making billions of dollars off of shooting that guy shaving his head. Zero dollars. Yeah, zero dollars. Dude, I got a whole other story to tell you about since we're on this yeah, 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 fucking yeah. book, dude. I like it. <laughs> so I was commissioned by Hurley to go down there and shoot John. Yeah. You know, and like me and John got along super well because he's into photography and he's super, super mellow, you know, super honest and just like humble, super fucking chill. I saw that Hurley was going to bring me back again. So I was like, fuck, I'm going to stay down there longer to work on this project to make it a book, this like cohesive, tangible piece about North Shore. So 
Anyways, I was putting the book together and Hurley all of a sudden pulled out and they were like, ah, actually, we don't have funding to print your book. And I was like, all right, fine. So then obviously the work has so much to do with John that when I was going through the photographs in the edit for the book of John, I was like, fuck, man, he's wearing this stupid fucking Hurley shirt in every image for two months. Like, it's this huge fucking whack Hurley logo, huge across the chest. And I'm like, poor kid, it's probably like the only shirt they give him, you know? And Mm -hmm. so I was like, no, this is not a fucking advertisement, this book. So I photoshopped out all the Hurley logos on the T-shirt. And then I printed the book, 500 copies, and showed in New York, and it showed in L.A., um, like a small exhibition and Bob Hurley got a copy of the book, and he was so fucking pissed. He was, was he? like, this is some fucking New York take on surfing. Fuck that. We are surfing. We're Huntington Beach. And I'm like. Like he came at you? Like he, did he, I, I just heard this just shit heard through, through that. Yeah, I heard yeah. it through the grapevine, you know. I was yeah. like, you know, I got all the respect for sure of like what you have brought to fucking surfing and like what Hurley means to so many people. But the fact you couldn't recognize what I was trying to do, like to bring something from the roots level to the roots level is just like is crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I like I paid for that out of my own fucking pocket. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Like I didn't make a fucking single penny on any of that. Yeah. And uh, that was yeah. You got super fucked up, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but but you you heard it through the grapevine. You didn't hear it through. Yeah, them. yeah, true. Fuck. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So and and in all fairness to him, you never know. Like you, you know what? Know. You never know. I'll you, never know. You'll never know unless you guys actually have a conversation. Like, yeah, yeah, true. I think you should, dude. Just be like, dude. Like you're like the you're like the manager that lost Queen, dude. You yeah. fucking blew it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Fuck for real. Well, yeah, for real. Because and not not to burn the guy. I mean, you know, fuck, dude. There's so much shit going on. Like people have so much shit going on. That guy has so much shit going on. I'm sure there's a bunch of flakes who are trying to do books with them and things. Probably didn't recognize like what you were doing. Yeah, yeah. And then and then just didn't see it until it was too late. And then yeah. it's like because he For actually sure. he He's actually big miscommunication. Big miscommunication, and that's Plus. that's so important that I've been learning. It's like, dude, just people just got to fucking talk for a minute. Like oh, just just communication talk. and is the fucking the answer to it all. Yeah, like, it's like details and communication. Yeah, are you willing to pick up the phone and have a hard? communication like are you willing to say hey dude i heard you say this i heard that you said some of this stuff i don't know it's true i heard you're pissed i've got another story going on over here and would you be willing to fucking hash it out out and clear the air because i want to what you know my intention is i don't want bad blood i want to fucking hang out i don't think you're a bad guy i'm not a bad guy but how many people don't have that conversation and then they're they hate each other. You know, yeah. I've, I've been I've been part of that for a lot in my life. It's like, oh fuck that guy, and then that guy's like, fuck that guy, and then it's done. Yeah, yeah. And it's like all it would take <laughs> is like two mellow words, like uh, I'm sorry, because I was kind of lame in that. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, good. But instead, I'll blow a fucking uh, relationship right down the toilet because I'm too fucking stubborn. But yeah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> That's Cole Barish, and um, that's some pretty good stuff in there. I can't. I actually just listening to that, I started laughing again. Anyway, so that's that's the end of episode one of whatever this is called. Not even sure. Um, and yeah, if you kind of you're kind of feeling some of that stuff and into it, then then check out episode two. I think we're gonna run JPs as as the second full episode, and uh, probably sitting on about ten or twelve of these right now. So we're just gonna roll them out over the next little while, and I will painfully keep on trying to shoot these intros and maybe I'll get over myself and stop making it such a big deal. Uh, but anyway, yeah, if you're into this, cool. 
If not, equally cool. All right. God bless. <laughs>